What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Self Helpless Podcast. I'm Delaney Fisher, and today we have such an amazing guest. Kelvin Chin is a life after life expert, speaker, certified grief recovery specialist, and meditation teacher. And he's also the founder of Overcoming the Fear of Death Foundation, where he helps people improve their quality of life and understand their life challenges through their individual belief systems. And he's also the author of the 2016 bestselling book, Overcoming the Fear of Death, through each of the four main belief systems. Oh my gosh, we covered so much in this episode. Kelvin shares everything from his near-death experience to what happens physically in the body when people are anxious about death and tips for overcoming that. Um, we talk about people, you know, finding peace right before they die and loved ones experiences. If you are around people as they are going through that process, and there are so many practical applications inside this episode for both reducing your anxiety in the moment and also just living more life fully going forward and really squashing this fear and anxiety. Um, both Kelvin and I got a little choked up in certain moments because we we got really deep um, when it came to some spiritual experiences that we've both had. Um, I left this conversation just feeling so at ease and so peaceful, and I really hope that you enjoy it. Before we get into the interview, if you are an entrepreneur, business owner, contractor, service provider of any kind, and you would really love to scale a minimalist business, I do have another podcast called Eficionado, the Minimalist Business Podcast, where we talk about unique strategy for scaling, time management, prioritizing your goals, all of that stuff. So you can not only make more money inside your business, but also have more free time. So check it out at delaneyfisher.com. If you are interested, it is a private podcast. It's completely free, but it is private and only available at delaneyfisher.com. All right. Here is Kelvin Chin. 
Calvin, thank you so much for being here. I haven't been this excited about a topic in years for the show. I got to be honest, like this is my jam. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Great to be here with you, Delaney. Yay. So um, before we get into a lot of the questions I have, um, do you have a favorite or least favorite quote? That's how we love to kick off the show. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I have a, a, a favorite quote and a, uh, well, two favorite quotes. One, one's a little bit more serious than the other. So I'll read the serious one first. Um, it is not death that a person should fear, but they should fear never beginning to live. So that's by Marcus Aurelius, second century Roman emperor. Um, and here's the, here's the lighter one, but still about death. I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And that's a Woody <laughs> Allen quote. That's a Woody Allen quote. That's, I think it, I don't know if it's from Annie Hall or, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you know, it's one of the, one of the Woody Allen movies. So he's standing, some, somebody told me he's standing in a bookstore when he says that or something like that. Yes. Anyway, oh, I'm okay. not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. In his yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, those are so perfect. Um, I would love to hear, I mean, I read a lot about you, but I, if you don't mind sharing kind of your connection to this topic specifically, how did you get into this work? Yeah, sure. So uh, what really inspired me was the death of my mom. So it was a very personal thing. Um, I mean, you know, you, you, you think about death a little bit. I, I wasn't a kid who grew up like many of my clients have like, had fears about death and dying since they were single digits old, but I wasn't like that. I, I'd had friends and relatives who had died, mainly relatives who were older, older uncles, grandparents, that kind of thing. But, um, and they predeceased my mom. But when my mom died, that was the first time I was really shaken by it because I was so close to my mom and she died very young. She was in her fifties and um, I was in my third year of law school. That's what really catapulted me into thinking more about death and dying in a and I guess in a more than just a, oh I went to the funeral and people were sad kind of way right, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah. how did you I know you know you teach this stuff now but do you remember like the first steps that you personally took like to reconcile that <clears throat> experience yeah I mean the very first well it was I back-ended into it, first of all. It wasn't something, this is not something that I thought, oh, I'm going to do this, you know, uh, later in my life. It just, back, back when I was in law school, you know, you're walking around and people say, hey, how you doing, Kel? And I said, ah, I'm doing fine. You know, you, we, we always, we all do that. And, and even if we're not doing fine. And so when my mom died and somebody ran into me, I can't remember who it was in the hallway at, at uh, BC Law, Boston College Law School. And, and, uh, and I said, well, you know, I'm doing okay, but my mom just died. And then that self-disclosure, you know how self-disclosure can open people up. When you tell them something that's somewhat personal that normally people don't talk about, then they go, whoa, they have permission, you know? And then it was like, wow, the floodgates opened and people started telling me about deaths that just happened to them and that they were bottling up, but they weren't talking about. So I started noticing that it made me feel better to talk about it with the people. I was, wow. see, here's the thing. If I knew anything about counseling, I would have gone to a, a therapist, but I knew enough. I mean, basically what, what I knew about counseling was I went to a guidance counselor in high school. You know what right, I mean? That's a right. counseling space. <laughs> like therapy, what's that, you know? <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. So you like kind of led with your vulnerability and then yes. coming back to you kind of led you down that more, you know, curious path here. 
Wow, that is so interesting. Yeah. Um, So in your experience, and after talking to so many people about this, what is happening in the body when somebody is so anxious about death? When, when in the body, it's pretty clear what happens. Whether it's anxiety about death or anxiety about anything, the the biochemistry completely shifts and it goes into, because we don't feel safe. And so we go into this danger mode and it's the fight or flight response. And so our whole biochemistry changes, our cortisol level spike. It's like you, Delaney, you and I are sitting in a cave 200,000 years ago, and people can picture this. You know, they're sitting in the cave 50,000, 200,000 years ago, I don't pick it, a long time ago. We're in a cave and we just had dinner. We're sitting around the campfire and we're talking. And then this saber-toothed tiger, a thousand pound saber-toothed tiger comes to the door and he's hungry. And, 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 and our fight or flight kicks in. And yes. it's either we, we fight it or we run away, fight or flight. And we're not stupid. We're not going to fight. Uh, uh, yeah, we're running. We're running. I'll let you take that one, Kelvin. I'm running. That's right. Yeah. You, you even beat me out the back door of the cave. And then, and then we're up a tree. But meanwhile, what's yeah. happened immediately when we see the animal is our heart races, our cortisol spikes, our glucose spikes. So we get immediate sugar rush because of energy. The, the blood goes to the big muscles in the body and the mind gets very focused and our, our, our lacrimal glands, our salivary glands, shut off. You ever notice your mouth gets yes. dry? Your mouth gets dry. Your people who are nervous, oh, they're always going like that? this. Because, because the digestion system is the last thing you need to save your life. Everything in the biochemistry goes towards survival and saving the species. All right. Wow. So that, and this is all like, you can Google it. This is what the yeah. fight or flight, these are all things. And I have this in, in my book on overcoming the fear of death. I actually went and researched because I knew generally what it was, but I researched stuff for my book and I put it, I, I literally basically cut and pasted stuff out of uh, like, I don't know if it was WebMD or somebody, you know, one of these yeah. medical sites that talks about the fight or flight. So all of that happens. Blood goes to the big muscles goes away from the, the, the smaller stuff that you doesn't need, your salivary glands, your digestion completely shuts down when you're in fight or flight. So you think about people who are anxious all the time, their digestion is a mess. Their glucose is spiking all the time when it shouldn't. And what does glucose spike do? It, it suppresses your immune system. And so people who are anxious all the time have terrible immune systems, they're getting sick all the time. So this is all the neurophysiologic response from being in survival mode. So there's a ton of stuff going on in the chemistry when you get any spike of anxiety. Oh my God. I don't know how, we've been doing this show for five years and I've never, I've never heard that explained. That was so good. I had no idea why the digestion is like the first thing to shut down. That makes so much sense. And And your mouth goes dry. Your mouth goes dry. Yes, yes. And I also read, I also learned that you're also a meditation expert. Is that part of the process of helping people kind of reverse that flight or fight? Do you want to kind of explain that a little bit? Sure. So the quick on that is that I learned when I was 19 years old, a couple of years ago, I was 19 years old and I was so stressed out. I was so, I was highly anxious. I didn't learn for spiritual reasons or I wasn't trying to find myself, uh, self-development or whatever. I I was just so, I was desperate. 
And, and like I said, I didn't know what counseling was. I thought counseling was guidance counseling. I, mean, I didn't know if I knew what therapy was, I probably would have gone to a therapist, yeah. but, um, but I didn't. And I just stumbled into a, an auditorium at uh, college and I was up at Dartmouth and, and I walked into an auditorium and this guy was there talking about meditation, but he wasn't just talking about meditation in the usual way I'd heard some other people talk about it, which was very religious and, and all this other stuff, which I kind of, I really wasn't into because um, I was pre-med at the time, pre-med, I was into science. So he was talking about some initial scientific research that was being done by a Harvard medical school professor. I later became a test subject in that exper- in those experiments six months later. Oh, so, wow. but that's what hooked me in was like research, fight or flight. That's when I started learning about that, what that meant. And that I said, that's me. <laughs> I need to turn that around. So that's what I teach now. I learned how to teach it and I teach people how to turn on the opposite of the fight or flight. So good. Love it. Um, Okay. So in your experience, what if you, what is really the root cause of our anxiety around death? Is it fear of uncertainty of pain of just what, what comes up for people? I think this, I think that what you, you just nailed it. I think it's the fear of uncertainty and it could be the fear of pain and suffering, but the, but when I talk about overcoming the fear of death with people, the first thing I do is help them identify what their fear really is about. Because if, if the fear is really about their own death, then that's one kind of set of discussions and solutions we have. If it's about somebody else's death, or if it's about uh, the fear of somebody else dying, or if it's a fear about their own death, but not what happens to them after they die physically, biologically, but their fear may be about like what you just referenced, how I'm going to die. Is it going to be pain and suffering involved? That's also a different discussion with slightly different solutions. So that's an identifying part of the conversation first that I need to have with people. But the most common things are fear of uncertainty and fear of pain and suffering, I think, for most people. And And the fear of uncertainty is, is really what it distills down to because people are... I don't know what's going to happen. Right. To say. right. It makes sense why we're all so anxious. Yes. Um, yeah. We're walking around like not knowing when or how or what happens. And so what would you tell somebody who the fear around death is the fact that they might not be able to see their loved ones again or experience like the joys that they love in this world so much? What would you share with that person? Yeah, that's kind of the, that, that's like, that's like the FOMO fear, right? That's basically, <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> right, right. That's the fear. Yes. For those of people who don't know, that's the fear of missing out, right? Yes. And it's, it could be the fear of missing out of anything, any of the things that you just referenced. Um, the bottom line with that is um, to teach people how to be less anxious. So what, what's the positive resu- uh, side effect of that, result of that, side effect of that? The positive side effect of that is they can be more present with whoever they're with yeah. and or whatever they're doing, if it's hiking or if it's playing, going to the beach, whatever, you know, they can be more present and not have this looming cloud over them of fears and emotions that's taking them away from being fully absorbed in their present moment. And I say it that way because not everybody comes to me with a belief in an afterlife. A lot of people come to me, they don't believe in an afterlife or they're not sure, or whatever, they're hybrids, they're on the fence, and it really doesn't matter to me. My goal is to help them live life more fully now, like Marcus Aurelius' quote we just talked about. 
Yes. Oh, that's so interesting because I, I'm somebody who thinks about death several times a day. It's just like, it's just an awareness, you know, and sometimes it, it makes me fearful and kind of stops me in my tracks and I have to escape from it. But sometimes it's the inspiration I need to like make bold moves and live my life really fully like you're talking about. And then I talk to my husband who never thinks about death. Maybe if we go to a funeral, he'll think about it or if somebody passes away. So why do you think that some people think about it very consistently and others don't? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, I, and I think the million dollar answer is that there are a million different reasons. Yeah. And so, so it's a buck per reason, basically. <laughs> I worked out, do, the, do the math. Anyway, but, but, but seriously, um, I think there are, a, a, you know, a million different reasons. But I think a couple of things kind of distill down to like very common denominators. And one is that when we feel out of control, when we feel like we don't have control, meaning what? We don't have enough, whatever enough is, certainty in our lives to make us feel really comfortable with being okay, then we try to control. That's the knee-jerk reaction for most people. So we either try to control our emotions, our thoughts, or maybe we try to control other people. <laughs> and, and, and the bottom line is, we quickly learn that we can't control everything. We can control some stuff and we should control the stuff we can control, but a lot of stuff we cannot control. And so the, the rubber meets the road, the sweet spot, if you will, is where is that line where the, you, you control stuff and then you let go of stuff. And the bottom line is I think we need to, as I've alluded to already, reduce our, our own level of inner anxiety about stuff but the other component is we need to expand our conscious capacity of our mind's ability to experience, and we can get into what I mean by that in more detail in a, in a few, when, when you like in a few minutes. Yeah. But that's critical because if we don't do that last part, the expansion of our capacity of our mind, then we're just moving around the deck chairs. We're not expanding the deck. Mm. Do you mind expanding on like, what does that mean to kind of open up our mind in that way? You think about it this way. So I, I've been using this analogy for uh, many decades now, and I don't know the professor's name who I borrowed this from. He's long, I'm sure dead. But um, one of my students in the 1970s who I taught meditation to, um, his name was Jerry, and, he, and, and I taught him to meditate and he was a PhD from the University of Houston, Texas in psychology. And he told me this story. He told us in the group when I was teaching this class, this story he said his professor said to all the graduate students, this is why I call it the Houston Astrodome analogy. The, the professor said, all of you students here incorrectly think your mind is like this little eight inch plastic bucket sitting on the 50 yard line on this huge football stadium down the street, Houston Astrodome, big, huge enclosed you know, stadium and so forth. Yeah. And, and, and you, that's all you can see because there's a little desk lamp over it and it's at night and you're sitting in this 90,000 seat stadium empty, but no lights on. And that's all you can see. That's what you think your mind is. He said, no, your mind is vast. It's huge. It's that huge football stadium. But all you see is the little eight inch plastic bucket with 10 or 15 ping pong balls. He said, that's your thoughts and emotions bouncing in and out of it. That's what you think your mind is. He said, no. So I've taken this analogy and I've expanded on it and said, that's what I teach people to do. Get out of the bucket experience and start turning the light switches on in the rest of the stadium, football stadium, 
that's your mind. And then you start to feel differently. You start to feel more confident, more empowered inside. It's the inside out approach, right? Okay. It's the expanding the deck on the ocean, uh, ocean liner instead of just moving around the deck chairs, which is what most people are trying to do on a crowded deck. So what is your advice to somebody? Let's say that somebody's really in the moment experiencing a lot of anxiety. Is there anything that you share with them for kind of more instant relief? And then what do you share with people that want to incorporate that management more long-term? Are there different methods? So the, yeah. So the short term is what I tell people. And I do this. So just people should know, I do a free first phone session with anybody in the world about anything. I have students in 55 countries now. So, um, and so they just, go to my website, they send me an email, we set up a time and they're okay, what, what's the problem? And so if somebody came to me like, like with that situation and, I, and, I, and I'm trying to help them right then and now on this free you know, one hour session with them, <clears throat> I would tell them, first of all, um, first of all, I always look through their lens. Okay, what's, what's going on? What's your belief system? I never try to change people's belief systems about anything, whether it's about death or dying or anything but it's theirs to own. And I look through their lens though to help them think more clearly. But the first thing that I would do with them, the quick thing I would do with them is say, hey, look, um, we don't know when or how you're gonna die, but you're gonna know when you know at that, what I call that most intimate moment in, our, in every person's life when our physical biological body dies, one of two things gonna happen. Either our mind is gonna, or something's gonna continue, which I think it's our mind. It's obviously not gonna be our body. Our body's dead then. Yeah. One of two things gonna happen. Either we're gonna continue or we're not gonna continue. So if we don't continue and you have that belief system, the science belief system, that the brain and the mind are connected and brain shuts off, mind shuts off, like my dad had that belief system, then there's no issue. Just live your life. But if your mind continues, then let's talk about how we can reduce fears and so forth and so on. So you don't take any fears with you. So, but, but the bottom line I point out to them is you're going to know when you know, and it's not right now. That's point number one. <laughs> <That's so true. laughs> because you're talking to me. And they, they usually laugh. They usually laugh. It gets them go. You got a little humor into this, you know, because yeah. people perspective, humor gives perspective, as you know, as a comedian, yeah. you know, perspective, perspective is what people lack. And when you give them perspective as a, a comedian, they laugh because they go, whoa, you're right. That is funny. I can laugh right now, you know, because yeah. people get so absorbed. So that's one thing. The other thing that I do is I, I, I teach them sometimes if they're in an immediate need. I teach them what I call the belly button technique. And I'll do this, it takes me like 30 seconds to teach you. It's all, it's all you do is you put your hand, doesn't matter what hand, you put it on your belly button on your tummy, you're just resting it there. You're just lightly resting your hand on your tummy. Right. You can do it with me now, <laughs> yes. right? Do it with me now, everybody who's watching. Yes, do let's right do now. it. You put, put your, it's very, actually you can even do it while you're driving. I have oh. people do it while they're driving. Eyes open, Perfect. eyes closed, eyes open, eyes closed, <laughs> public place, private place, doesn't matter. Nobody knows what you're doing. Love you it. put your hand in your tummy, and you just take a few slow, deep breaths. That's all you do. And you're not hyperventilating and you're not breathing fast. You're just breathing normally. That's why I call it a belly button technique and not a breathing technique. Mm. Bre breathing is involved because I don't want people controlling their breathing. So you just put your belly, hand your belly button. Now, what does that do? If you're having a moment 
an anxiety moment. Where are you? You're all up in your head. What's the worst thing to do? Everybody knows this. Everybody's tried this already. The worst thing to do is to try to get yourself out of your head. Oh, I got to think about something different. Oh, I got to think about something positive. <laughs> the worst thing to do, because what does that do? It makes it the negative thing more pronounced. It makes it 10 times stronger, right? Yeah. Trying always creates more activity in the mind. Fundamental principle of the human mind. Trying always creates more activity in the mind. So you can't try. Don't think about hippopotamus right now, Delaney. You, it's too late. You already think about it. You know, you, you failed. You know, it's like, you can't like, why did he ask me not to think about hippopotamus? Now you can't stop thinking about it now. Oh, I see. Yes. Right. <laughs> Trying always creates more activity. Yeah. So, so, so the reason this simple belly button technique works, you put your hand in your tummy, where does your tension go? It goes to your tummy. You just put your hand down there. So it's a little bit of a trick to the mind. Now, when you take some, a few deep breaths, what does that do? It stimulates what's called the vagus nerve. You can Google it later, V-A-G-U-S. It's the longest nerve in the human nervous system. It goes from the base of your brainstem to all your organs, your lung, your heart, your liver, your kidneys, your you know, pancreas, everywhere, GI system, everywhere, and it calms everything down. Mm. So it's a temporary, not a permanent fix like the meditation, not a long-term fix like the meditation. It's it's a temporary but immediate fix. So I I, talk, I think Kate would be okay for me telling you this because she's very open. She, she, she talked about me on the Today Show, Kate Beckinsale. She talked about me oh, on, nice. on the Today Show. Yeah, she talked, she talked about me on the Today Show interview, but she didn't mention my name. And I said, Kate, why didn't you mention my name? She goes, my, med- my loss, I'm, I'm her Los Angeles meditation teacher. She goes, I said, Kate, why didn't you mention my name in an interview? She goes, well, she's so polite, Kate. She's really sweetheart. She goes, she goes, I, I but I didn't ask your permission first, Kelvin. So I, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't, I think I asked your permission. I was like, Kate, you have my permission. All right. yeah, anyway, it was almost so, a hot plug, Kate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, are you serious on the Today Show? Anyway, so, so, so I, she called me from, I think she'd be okay with me telling you this because she's, she's a, she's a real, she's a character. Um, but she said, uh, she called me, she's in London, given the GQ Man of the Year award. She said, Kelvin, I'm freaking out. I'm getting dressed. Right now, she's not getting dressed. She's being dressed. Give me a break. She's in her suite. Anyway, <laughs> but you know, you know, like she's pulling on her blue jeans to go give the GQ Man of the Year. Right. If you if you Google the you Google this, you know, you'll see the address. It's like ridiculous. It flies out to the side. I don't know what holds it up. Anyway, so she's she's getting dressed and she calls and I'm freaking out. I think I'm gonna trip across the stage. It's like tens of millions of people gonna be watching me. Oh I'm gonna fall on my high heels walking across to the microphone. I say, Kate. Just put your hand in your tummy. And I taught her this. And I said, do this. And, and she texted me afterwards. She said she did it standing in the wings before she walked. And it worked. It great. I was fine. I didn't fall. Anyway. Oh, nice. I love that. It's such a simple tip because I feel like, I mean, there's so many great grounding exercises out there, but I've, I have felt overwhelmed by those because it feels like a checklist or to-do list yes. in the yes. moment where you just need to make one move. And I love that. That is such a great takeaway of a very, very simple. simple thing we can do no matter what. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And then, you know, what would you share with somebody? What are some things that really help with long-term anxiety management around death and just living your life fullest day by day? Yeah, long-term, I would say two things. One, everything needs to be ex- balanced with experiential and understanding. That's always my approach. What's, what can we change that's experientially going to change us? And what's going to change our thinking, understanding, and clarity of our thinking? 
because we do all kinds of stuff that is messed up thinking, cognitively dissonant for those people who know what that means. Yeah. Okay, so the experiential is the meditation, what I call turning within meditation now, what I teach, turning within. We need to turn within and connect with ourselves in an easy, effortless way. I teach this technique, as you know, 10 to 15 minutes each time, twice a day, that's it, mm. right? And you should connect with me and I'll teach you for free. So, oh, so definitely scheduling a call. <laughs> ten, 10 to 15 minutes twice a day. That's all you need to do. And it just turns the ship around because it expands the capacity and it balances the, the fight or flight stuff out. And so that's experiential. And the other is understanding. What do I mean by that? Understanding our thoughts and emotions and our desires. And do they align? Do our desires, what we want, desires meaning what do we want, what do we wish for? hopes and dreams, all that stuff. What Do our desires align with our thoughts and therefore our actions, our behavior? Because we do all kinds of stuff. We have these desires and we don't, I mean, a classic example, like the NFL, I, you know, uh, I don't know if I should say this publicly, but I'm a Tom Brady uh, fan. But anyway, <laughs> there's a lot of hate Brady haters out there. Anyway, you know, I grew up in, I grew up in Boston, you know, anyway. But, but you look at the NFL and every team in the NFL, every coach is saying, we're making, our goal is the Super Bowl. Our goal is the Super Bowl. We want to win the Super Bowl. Okay, that's their desire. What's the thoughts and the actions and the behaviors? Do they align? Well, you know, sometimes the star players show up late. We don't do them. There's no consequence. That's cognitive dissonance. That is inconsistent behavior. You are not going to meet your desire if the thoughts and emotions, actions, are not aligned with your desires. So that that kind of thinking, and that's what my, you know, my, where is it? <laughs> that's my second book. That's what this book is all about, right? It's all about the 67 essays, is about aligning one's thoughts and emotions and desires more, uh, more, more with each other so that we can live a more fulfilling life. That's what this was about. That one, that book, and then this book, as you know, is, is about overcoming the fear of death, which is what the title of the book is. Hello. So, uh, you know, but that's the long term, because then we're going to start to cascade a positive snowball. We get rid of our anxiety. We balance out our chemistry. We're taking on less stress. That's the meditation component, right? We're expanding. We're using more of the Houston Astrodome part of our mind as opposed to just the eight-inch plastic bucket part which is our waking state part of our mind and then is the and then is the aligning our thinking so our behavior in our waking state is more productive mm, okay that makes a lot of sense have you have you spoken to a lot of people and is there a difference between is it called is it thanatophobia the yeah. the, the fear of death thanatophobia yeah, oh, yeah. is that yeah. Is that something that requires very different management or treatment? Or have you come across a lot of people with that phobia? Oh, yeah. People call me all the time because they find me. That's how they find me on the Internet. Because they're yeah. put, like, you're plugging anxiety, death, fear about death. And, and I, was, I, was, I was, for about a year and a half, I was the, the number one on the first page of Google search for about a year and a half after I spoke in San Francisco at the Commonwealth Club. Because the Business Insider interviewed me. So Business Insider had such right. a, a high search rate, you know, rate right. uh, that, uh, yeah, but, but so a lot of people came to me and said those words. Other people just come to me now, you know, would just say, I'm a freaked out about death and dying. It's the same thing. That's what thanatophobia means. Mm -hmm. But, um, but no, the, 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 the solution is not complicated, but most 
um, therapists who refer their clients to me and psychiatrists who refer their clients to me don't have training in how to um, how to deal with it. They have a little bit maybe, but the the key component that they're missing is the meditation component because the talk therapy component, there are people out there who can do talk therapy about it. And it's not nothing, it's helpful. But again, for your to your point in terms of long-term, it's more that's more like moving around the deck chairs on the deck of the ocean liner, which does help. You can get rid of the broken chairs, the broken thoughts and thinking and patterns and so forth. And the therapy can definitely help with that. But wouldn't it be more effective and these are the psychotherapists who refer clients to me because they know that their psychotherapy is going to be more effective if the deck is bigger, right. not so crowded. And so I teach them that. I don't. I get into a little bit of the the the, the content because, as you you probably have seen on my website, you know I teach an afterlife series because I've had lots of experience, my own personal experiences with the afterlife. So I get into it. Now I don't tell people they got to change your belief systems, but if they're interested, that's a separate class. I keep that separate from my meditation because I teach athletes too who don't have any fears or anxieties and they just want to be back on the playing field faster, heal faster. So I, I keep them separate. But the components, um, you know, those are the two components for long term. Okay, so interesting. Um, so what what is your approach? And maybe it's similar or different. What if somebody calls you and they they know they're dying maybe they've got they have a terminal illness and how do you help them find peace with that so i've had that happen a number of times uh a quick story on that a woman contacted me from um someplace in england and um she found me online and she said her mom is dying she's in the hospital and her body was rallying even though she was in, she couldn't communicate anymore um, her, her mom was conscious, her eyes are open, but she couldn't communicate anymore. And, um, and the doctors are confused because she had so many painkillers in her that they're, they couldn't give her any more. And the doctors are saying the painkillers alone, the amount of painkillers alone would be too much for most people to even stay alive. And yet her body was rallying. So wow. she thought her mom might have been holding on. And that's what the doctors thought. So she contacted me. I said, when are you going to see your mom next? She said, tomorrow. I said, take the phone, hold it up next to her, put me on speaker, and I'm going to talk to her for a few minutes. And I talked to her for a few minutes. And I, first I asked the daughter um, you know, what her mom's belief system was. And her mom, Irish Catholic, went to church three, four times every week for her entire life. Now the woman's like 85 years old or something like that, 90 years old. And so, um, so I... Um, talk to her through her lens. Like I said, I don't change people's beliefs. So I talked to her about her Catholicism and her, her, her Jesus and God and all of that. And if somebody was an atheist, I would talk to them differently, obviously. But just I knew she was a devout Irish Catholic. I talked to her about what it would be like that she, when, she, when, she, when she goes to the other side and so forth. I did not tell her to let go. I was not, I was not suggesting that she should. I was just telling her what it would be like and i was reducing and allaying her fears and so um then maybe five ten minute phone call on them at most and um and obviously it's one-sided i'm just talking to her <clears throat> daughter hangs up texts me afterwards and her daughter said that mom beckoned me with her eyes to come over to her after after the phone call and she whispered one word 
and it was the last word she ever said and she hadn't spoken for two weeks before she, so she said she said beautiful and then she went into a deep peaceful sleep i could tell from her 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 breathing the daughter said and then she went into a coma and then 36 hours later she died wow oh my and god so, got chills i know it was like wow i brought tears to my eyes when so I, I've, I've, I've done this a number of times with, I did another, another woman's uh, mother up in um, Oregon uh, more recently. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That really just hit me. I, I don't know. I didn't plan to share this, but um, that uh, was a similar experience with my grandfather who recently passed. He was unresponsive and we, um, my husband, um, somebody in his family, cousin basically, is a priest and my grandfather was very devout Irish Catholic and we put him on speakerphone and did some rites and stuff before he passed on speaker yeah. he was speaking to him and his last word to me was beautiful so that's yeah. just like really <laughs> that was right. such a weird experience yeah. hearing, you, hearing you say that that's so fascinating yeah um, that's it was good instinct on your part good wow. really good instinct yeah wow that is so interesting um yeah. so what do you tell people who ask you the question, what happens when I die or what happens when we die? Well, I, I, my first question to them when they ask me is, I, I, I answer that with a question. I say, well, what do you think happens? <laughs> <clears throat> so because I'm always looking to see where their lens is, you see. Right. Because right. I don't, I'm not, I can be the answer man, <laughs> in <a> sense, <laughs> but I don't put myself in that position. I am the helper and I am the person to help them refine their thinking about it first. I'm always, I always think of, I don't want followers. I want, I want students. Students and followers are two different things. A student is somebody who wants to learn how to think for themselves. That's what I want. So I, so I ask them first and then if they don't know, then they say, but what do you think, Kel? Then I'll go there. But I first ask them first that, and depending on what they say, I'll look at, look at it through their lens and language my stuff through their thinking and through their language, their language system, so to speak. Okay, but um, if you're asking me what my experience is, because I've had near death experience myself, uh, when I almost drowned off of San Diego in a rip rip current, which I didn't even know what a rip current was. That oh my gosh, that was my next question for you. How weird. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know what a rip was. I mean, I I had come from I was born in Boston, grew up in the East Coast, went to school in the East Coast, and I just came out for a summer program in intensive in in in, in language, and uh, language intensive, and I met a girl at registration at UCSD. And we walked down to the beach, Black's Beach. I don't know if you know, Black's Beach there, right near UCSD there. Mm. Um, I, I later found out it was a nude beach, but I didn't, <laughs> didn't know. <laughs> Everybody, all the locals, are, oh, Black's Beach. Oh, okay, right. Anyway, so, but, but, uh, so I said, hey, do you want to go down to the beach? And it turns out, she, I, she, because we don't have class till tomorrow or the next day or whatever. And she goes, yeah. So, so we went down to the beach and there was nobody there and we're both from the east coast and we don't know what a rip current is and uh, and so it is a beautiful june hot summer day two o'clock in the afternoon or something and 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 we go in there and it's hot so we dunk you know underwater right away and then um then i lifted my feet up and boom i start getting taken out and i'm watching the 300 foot high cliffs at tory pines beach 
start going like this. They're going like this. And I, and, and, and I can see them getting smaller and smaller. That's how fast I was moving. People that don't know what a rift current is, it's a river in the ocean. And they can move very fast sometimes. Yeah. Very, very fast. And they typically come into the shore and then they go back out. And so they, it caught me and it did not catch her. And she was about 15, 20 feet away from me. And she just wa I just watched her get small too. And so I was um, pulled out about 1.7 miles. And the reason I know how far is because um, one, of the, one of my uh, board members on my nonprofit board is a former, uh, actually still is, he's, he's, he's going, he's a captain of ships. Uh, ship captain, big, you know, like 600, 400, eight, these huge ships, right? And so he said, I said, came and help. I was the, the three and a foot high cliffs were about three or four inches tall. How far out was I? And he said, 1.7 miles. And so I was freaking out. I was 20 years old and I was freaking out. I start going down because I'm exhausted. Here's a, a little lesson for you. It may save your life, Del. So you, yeah. you get pulled out in the ocean. You never, ever do what I did. You don't swim straight back in. You swim at an angle to the beach because what pulled you out, you're swimming right back into. Hello, McFly. Oh. I, I totally <laughs> spaced out, right? Wow. I, I yeah. knew this from Boy Scouts. I knew it intellectually, but I emotionally was freaking out. So I yeah. completely blanked, blanked, I blanked on it. <clears throat> I'm swimming straight in. I'm exhausted because I'm, I'm not only getting nowhere, but I'm getting pulled out even farther, you know? So, so, so I'm exhausted and I'm thinking, I'm ready to give up. And I'm thinking this is because I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm getting, getting worse. And so I start going down. I start going down and it's just like in the movies, you know, you see the water, like the water level go like this, you know, in the movies, the camera's down there and, you know, you're watching it. Yeah. And, and I was watching the, the bird surface getting farther away from me and I'm going down. And, 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 and what happened was my mind left my, but the only way I can describe it is, my mind left my body for a split second, <clears throat> but I was familiar with this experience from meditating for a year and a half before this happened. Oh. For a year and a half, I've been meditating every day and every once, not every meditation, but every once in a while, I'd have this experience where, whoa, I'm unaware of body and surroundings. My mind is not aware of everything. You know, I'm not, I don't hear the kids playing outside, whatever, you know what I mean? Oh. I mean, but my, but I'm still awake. And so this, what I call now this, this separation of my mind and my body was not an unfamiliar experience to me. So now I'm going down and so this happens and I go, wait a minute, I know what that is, <laughs> but I got to get back in my freaking body, you know? It's like, so I, it, whereas most people, if you, if you watch YouTube's about near-death experiences, NDEs, people will go, it was amazing. I just couldn't believe. And, and if I had had that level of amazement about it, yeah, that my body's still going down. I would have been 20, 30 feet down by the time I kind of realized, you know, like most people right. uh, who have an NDE, they've never had a, a, a mind body kind of separation type of experience or anything they remotely like it. They're yeah. so wowed by it that they just hang in it for many seconds and sometimes many minutes. I'm like sitting on the bottom of the ocean floor by then. If that happens, there's no way I'm getting up. Right. So, so in, in a sense, in a weird way, I just realized this fairly recently when I started talking about this story, that meditation saved my life because it was not an unfamiliar experience for a year and a half. To me. And so I, I realized oh, I got to get in the pot. I went back in. I willed myself back. It was just a desire. And yeah. so, but, but that's, will, that's what will is, is the, the simple desires. 
And uh, it's people think willing is like, oh, I got to force, but no, it's much more subtle the mind than that. And I've ex that's what I experienced here. It was just very subtle. I just, I just desire, I got to get back and boom, I'm in. And I, and I struggled that four or five feet. If it was 10 or 12 feet, I, know, I wouldn't have made it. But four or five feet, I struggled to get to the top. And then I just, I said, don't hurry. I remember it wasn't even a word. It was like a feeling that I had because I was so freaked out. Yeah. But I just remembered not hurrying. And I just flipped on my back, got my breath, and just slowly started making my way in. And what must have happened, I'm just guessing, is that the rip current must have changed a little bit so that I must have been on the edge. So I got out of it eventually and swam the almost two miles back in. It oh. took me an hour to swim back in i was exhausted oh my she my friend stayed on the beach she said she didn't want to leave me to go get help because she wouldn't be able to see you know where i was she, she stayed to watch me to, to make sure she could still see me and she, and i crawled it was just like in that tom hanks movie, you know like castaway whatever the heck the movie was where yeah. you got shipwrecked yeah on the fedex plane and it's so like i crawled up on the shore like, and i passed out it's like, you know, my feet are still in the water, but I'm on the dry, uh, dry enough land. And I, she said I passed out for about a half an hour. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is yeah. so interesting because I am one of those people who binge watches NDE, like, clips on YouTube. I listen to podcasts. I'm fascinated by near-death experiences. And it's an episode I've been wanting to do on the podcast. So I feel like I'm getting a twofer right now. With you. There you go. We can come back and revisit all this stuff and do another one, but yes. talk about my, talk about my past life stuff. But anyway, but yes. yeah, that, that one is like meditation saved my life because it was not unfamiliar. You've seen these NDE YouTubers and, and the people will talk and like, Oh, I went into this place of light and all of this and i felt so peaceful and loving and all that and they hang there there's yeah. no way if that had been a first experience for me right. i'd be dead i'd be physically dead right did you i mean a lot of people talk about having a near-death experience and then they just they can't go back to how they were when they're you know when they wake up from it or whatever did that really impact the way that you moved forward in your life did it was it <laughs> it impacted me on how i went to the beach at that yeah that's <laughs> what it impacted me that's how it impacted me i mean seriously like oh I, I got careful lifting my feet up unless there's somebody really nearby me that seriously it's like after you watch the movie jaws for the first time the last thing you want to do is go in the ocean you know so so it was more like that what's it seriously but no I, I didn't feel like a lot of indie years they you know like well i you know i'm just looking forward to whatever this any other thing and all that and it's like i'd already had a year and a half of on and off these experiences of my mind being so expansive and everything so it was just a, an aha experience for me not experientially in that way like most indie years because for them it's just a new experience for me it wasn't a new experience for me it was like wow thank you for saving my life <laughs> that was what it was like yeah wow. have you noticed like have you talked to a lot of people who have had ndes and are there certain patterns with like how their behavior changes after that or anything like that do they make big changes in their life a lot of times that happens with a lot of them not all of them but sure that, that's a very common thing and it, it tends to me i think it gets skewed because those are the ones you see more on youtube because they're, they're, they're more like, you know, wow, gee whiz experience. And they have a wow, gee whiz 
after after NDE experience too. And so people are more wowed and gee whizzed by them. So you tend to hear them more. But I think that a lot of people may have had NDEs like myself, and I never talked about it for right. years, you know. Right. And it just it was it was like okay. And then the other category is what you don't see a lot of on YouTube for the for the same reason is the ones who are freaked out after they've had their NDE. Yeah. And they have they have some sort of experience and they carried some fear with them. And uh, or here's one, uh, one of my students contacted me. He had four NDEs, four near-death experiences. And he contacted me because I, uh, and I, he's from Mexico. Um, and, and I said, Fritz, so when, when, uh, when was the last NDE you had? And he said, seven weeks before he contacted me. He had an NDE and they put him, what happened was he, his more, the most recent one in, out of the four, he was driving an RV in Mexico, his recreational vehicle, you know, those big things. He's driving an RV and people who don't know, the motor is pretty much right next to you and underneath the cab, it's right there. You know, those things are just squared off in the front pretty much. And um, it caught fire. And so that means that his cabin caught fire and he was on fire. So it's so he was on fire from his feet up his legs and so forth and he started burning and 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 so he he um he was obviously in the hospital he was a serious burn victim he had you know whatever you know the highest level of degree third third or fourth degree burns or whatever they are yeah. and um had bone uh, skin grafts and all of that but they put him into a medically induced coma because of the pain and so that he wouldn't move and so he could start to heal. And they put him in for like two, two, two months into a medically induced coma. And then he contacted me a few weeks after that because he was freaked out about the whole experience. Yeah. And, and he ha had it in a near-death experience through this nearing death, burning experience and so forth. And he, it was very pleasant for him in a sense, the near-death experience, but it freaked him out. The whole thing is combined to him. The whole thing was a near-death experience. And so anyway, I worked with him and taught him to meditate and so forth. And he's fine now with his anxiety around it. But not everybody has a real positive experience. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that's, it's so interesting that, I don't know, the fact that you make your body's experiencing the same thing, but you're, I guess, you're feeling different ways about it. What do you tell the people who have had the negative ND experiences where what maybe whatever they saw or felt was more fear, you know, fear-based? Fear-based, yeah. yeah. So what I tell them is that they probably, they undoubtedly took some fears with themselves and they manifested in their mind as however they described it to me. And that was a manifestation in their, in their, in their consciousness, in their mind. Of, a, of some fears that they took with them. So how to deal with it? You deal with it by getting rid of your fears now. That's why I help people. That's why I always say, I'm helping people live more in the present because right. we get rid of our fears now. That helps us in what I call the continual present. It's continual present because the present is always changing. It's like, whoop, you just missed it. You know, it's like, right. that's, oh, Dell, you just missed it again. It's like, you know, the present. <laughs> but, yeah. So, so it's the continual present. So helping people get rid of their fears now is going to help them when they actually do, if somebody came to me, like you said, when they actually do phys physically, biologically die, those fears will be dissipated, reduced, and hopefully eliminated, and they won't take them with them. Wow. 
um, what kind of like misunderstandings or misconceptions do people have about the fear around death or the dying process even if you can share a little bit about that because I know your approach is really helping with that issue those yeah it there's a lot I mean people think that um well a, a lot of times people think that they're seeing things when they get close to dying when they start seeing their dead dog, their dead mother, their dead husband, wife, son, child, who knows, cousin, um, visiting them either in their dreams or sometimes in their waking state in the hospital or if they're at home, wherever they are, in the, in the room that they're in. And those, those it's, is it possible that they're morphine-induced hallucinations? Yes, of course, that's always possible. But more likely than not, even with morphine, it's more likely that it is their, 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 their dead loved ones there. And even if you don't see it, and you're not the, dead, the dying person, but you're the visiting loved one, even if you don't see what they see, I always encourage people to be there, to, to just accept whatever they're seeing and don't try to correct them. It's yeah. not about who's right and wrong there. You're there to be supportive. And if you are the dying person, then <clears throat> know that that is very common. It's a very common thing to be visited. Because why? Because when we actually do physically, biologically die, is there's a welcoming committee. That's what I call it. You know, you know me well yeah. enough, Dale. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of I'm Mr. Informal Language. You know, it's like a, <clears throat> they, they may have a, a you know, group name. That I don't know what they call themselves. <laughs> But it's a welcoming committee. And it's like, and they're there to help us transition and it's dead loved ones, friends. And there are others who we may not even know. And there, um, and, and there's some maybe former spiritual teachers, et cetera, or people we've revered from a religious or a spiritual standpoint, et cetera, et cetera. And others who we may not even know who come, they're the welcoming committee. So, so who's going to come first to visit the dead, the dying person? as they're nearing death are the friends and the loved ones who they're familiar with they, they recognize them those right. are the ones who are going to come first obviously and so <clears throat> it's all part of this process so that's a big a, a big um, uh, that's one of the many misunderstandings the other is that you're going to experience any pain after you die so people will come to me with that and that's an irrational fear because the pain that you experience typically is related to your physical biological body which is now not functioning anymore if you've, if you've died. So that's why I say one of two things is going to happen in regards to the pain. It's either going to, it's going to, it, 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 it's going to go away and it's going to go away. It's actually one of one thing. <laughs> so I jokingly say it's one, two things, but it's like after, because I've already told them the other one of two things, but it's actually one of one thing. It's going to go away. It's going to go away because it's going to go away because your physical biological body is now dead by definition. And if you continue, what's not going to continue is anything related to your physical biological body. What's continuing is your mind. Um, I was there when my grandfather was passing and I was there in the room when he took his last, last breath and I, I watched it all happen. And he was, he was talking to, you know, his deceased brother and his mom. Right. Right. All these things where it was like, could this be morphing? Could this be real? Like, we don't know what's going on, but it was so interesting to actually watch it. And you'd think that 
the if somebody is hallucinating, it wouldn't always be about dead relatives. You'd think there'd be maybe some other stuff in the mix of like, oh, yeah. Elvis visited me or this, but they were all so like realistic conversations yeah. and questions that it really did make you think like, whoa, something interesting is happening in this room right now. And it's, it was a really incredible experience, even though it was traumatic, it was like a really incredible experience to like be there. Yeah. Oh yeah. People will tell stories like I, I've, I've, you know, people come to me with stories too. And a lot of different stories like that, where things will happen and they'll be in the room talking about the family members telling me this about how they're dead. In this one case, I'm thinking about her father died and there's several, three or four people in the room visiting her father and they all, she and her brother. So not all of them out of the, let's say there were four people like, she and her brother separately both heard this drumming going on in the room. There's nobody drumming in the room that you can physically, biologically see, okay? Wow. The other two, I think her aunt or some, whoever else was in the room, they didn't, they asked them afterwards, they didn't hear it. But she and her brother who are standing on opposite sides of the bed, they're not even standing next to each other, they're opposite sides of the bed and their father's in the, between them. They both heard this, this Scottish, some, I think Scottish drumming or something or some sort of Celtic, I don't know what, it was some drumming from the UK, whatever. Yeah. I'm not familiar with what, but it was some drumming. I remember the drumming part of the story and it was not, it was, it was culturally related to the UK somewhere. It was some old drumming thing that their father was really into. Oh, yeah, weird. yeah. He had this thing, it was like an avocation, you know, like a hobby thing of being into this and the brother and the daughter, the, the you know, brother and sister, the, the son and the daughter both heard this. And then, and then, um, yeah. And then, and then after he died, they separately heard it again. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. I just got chills. Do you have any other stories, like more woo-woo experiences? <laughs> oh my God. I have so like, many woo-woo. Are you serious? <laughs> I got whether it's you oh know serendipitous God. or something like that. I love this shit. <laughs> All right, here's one for you. Is it just okay? I, I'll tell you one about my daughter and one about my uh, about somebody who I don't even know. I'll tell you my daughter ones first. The daughter okay. ones a little bit a little bit quicker. So my daughter, I don't know if you Google my kids, but my my son's an actor and uh, he just did the Guinness ad. So if you watch the the new Guinness ad that's still playing, it'll be playing during the NBA playoffs. It was during March Madness. He's the bartender. You, you don't see his face. He's, you see his back. He's wearing a striped shirt. He's the bartender throughout the Guinness, Guinness ad. And then, and then um, my daughter is a model with Wilhelmina. And so um, Global Modeling Agency, and she's, uh, she, you see her on all the Lululemon websites and stores and stuff. That's my daughter. Anyway, uh, all, all their ads. <clears throat> so my daughter, the model, as I just said, she was Googling. This is fairly recent. Uh, it was last year, I think. She was Googling um, uh, articles about Victoria's Secret models um, and how to become a Victoria's Secret model, something like an article. So she's looking at reading this article. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, she's just sitting on her laptop, okay? She's on her MacBook. And out of the blue, a pop-up pops up on her screen and she sent me a screenshot. I use this in my, I show this in my Afterlife series. It's a big screen, you know, the, the pop-up is this big on your screen, okay? And so, and a pop-up is from a career website, which she has never heard of, she's never been on, and she's never searched on in anything. And, 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 and the pop-up lists five names of five dead people 
that she's been in touch with. What? Who, yes. Yeah. So five of her friends. So it goes, it's David, who was her high school classmate who died tragically from a drug overdose. Um, Dee Dee, who is her, uh, who is the partner of her aunt, Dee Dee Bloom. Dee Dee, uh, no, it just said Bloom, sorry. David Bloom, this is on different lines. Oh my God. David, underneath Bloom, which is the last name of Dee Dee Bloom. Uh, and it said, um, uh, uh, Holly. Holly was a friend who died when my daughter was 10. My daughter's 27 now. When my daughter was 10 and Holly was 15, Holly was in a crosswalk, got killed by a car. Okay. And uh, they were close friends and she was very close friends with my son too, Holly. Um, and and um, King and Henry. King and Henry, that's my parents. My parents have visited my daughter. Uh, in uh, That's a whole other story. Uh, and then... And then, and then the bottom line, it said Sam, which is my daughter's name, Sam, Sam Chen. So, um, so um, out of the blue, she's never searched any of those names on the internet, never mind on this career website. It just pops up in the middle of the article. Okay, what's that? That is so weird. So here's the other one. So, so uh, a, a student of mine who has fear of death uh, found me on the, you know, uh, internet, so forth and so on, and. Um, so we talk about it. We went through the process that you and I have talked about today. And I, and I taught him to meditate to help reduce his anxiety. He lives in Ohio. Name's Joseph. I've never met him. He texts me after I teach him to meditate a couple of few weeks later. He text, sends me this text. I think your dad visited me last night. I'm like, what? He knows my dad's dead, okay? He doesn't know a lot about my dad other than my dad's dead, okay? Um, and so that you get a text from somebody like that. You don't just text them back. You right, you call the, them immediately. <laughs> I, pick the frick, I pick the freaking phone up and I call them immediately, right? So I call him, I was like, Joseph, what are you talking? And he picked the phone up. You know, fortunately, he answered the phone. I said, what are you talking about? My dad physically said, well, you know, I've, I've had lucid, you guys about, Joseph is about 45, 50 years old, something like that. He said, you know, I've had lucid dreams my whole life. And then last night, very clear lucid very clear dream and he remembers them he said last night i was flying i joseph i was the pilot flying a world war ii bomber over the ocean and so he's flying this world war ii bomber over the ocean and um and he said this young asian officer came up from the rear of the plane to the cockpit and we're talking about the hydraulics the fluid levels in the engines to make sure they're okay he doesn't know that my dad was not just a mechanical engineer. He was a hydraulics mechanical engineer. There's a subspecialty within the mechanical engineering of hydraulics, fluid, fluid flow, and all this fluid this and fluid that. I grew up with listening to this at the dining room table every night. You know, my dad talking about fluid dynamics. And so he said, yeah, we're talking about fluids and the engine and everything's okay. And then this young Asian officer looked at me with a glint in his eye or a smirk on his face or something like that. And he said, you're afraid of death, aren't you? And, and Joseph says to this young Asian army officer in his plane, he goes, uh, how do you know that? There's only six people in the world who I've told that I have a fear of death. And I just told the sixth person about three weeks ago. And the young Asian officer, I'm getting a little emotional right now. The young Asian officer says, he smiles and he says, oh, 
You mean Kelvin? That's my son. Oh my gosh. That is wild. How do you explain something like that? Exactly. How do you explain that? I don't even know this guy, Joe. <laughs> wow. And he doesn't know all this details about. So then I sent him, get this. I'll see if I can find this quickly. I sent him this. I sent him this picture. Okay. I saved it for moments like this in the separate, like uh, a separate album here. So get this. I sent him this picture of. Um, here it is. I sent him this picture. See that? Yes. And that's your dad. That, that's my dad in 1942 when he signed up as a second lieutenant um, wow. and in the U.S. Army Air Force. I sent him this picture and he goes, that's the guy. That's oh. what he was. That's the guy. That's the uniform he was wearing. That's, that's the face. That's everything. He said, that's the guy from my dream. What? right oh and then i God. then i then i sent him this picture see that yes the plane that's a b-29 bomber that's the bomber that that they dropped the atom bombs on japan and so forth that's the planes that my dad was the you know you know worked on on these yeah. planes you yeah and and um he said that's the plane he was flying oh my god in the dream that is wild and these are like right? photos that are private like in your family they're not like posted everywhere with stuff. no no i i posted that picture and my dad's picture on my website my kelvinchin.org website yeah after he told me this story because i put it in the story yeah. and i told the story there of joseph i asked joseph again i put this on my website yeah so that's when i found those pictures i googled what a b29 looks like and i put those pictures that I did it after he told me the story. Wow, that is unreal. Do you think that everybody has these experiences, but some people are open to them or some people are looking or receiving them and some people are just closed off to receiving exactly. them? Exactly. I think it's happening all the time. The afterlife is right here. My experience is it's right here. It's just operating at a different frequency, different vibrational level, we could call it. It's kind of like, you know, people will use this analogy and I think it's a great analogy. Other people have used this. And it's a great analogy. It's like the old radio, radio dial. You know, if you go back to the 19, what, the 19, when the radio come in, 1920s to, you know, and, and probably up until about the 1990s, maybe, there were still radios that you had to tune in, right? And even on my, you know, I have a, I have a, you know, a 2000 something car here and, and, and uh, downstairs. And even in that, you still have to hit the button to tune into a station, whatever. And you can sometimes be off the station or on the station. It's like that with this tuning in to this different frequency, this vibrational level. It's right here. People think it's far away, whatever, because they don't see it. But it's right here. It's, it, and we're just not tuning in, like you say. We're just not tuning in. Most people are just so caught up in their own stuff, which is normal. It's yeah. not a bad thing. It's not a judgment statement. It's just normal. So we tend not to be. And here's the thing. I always tell people this too. Look, I can tune into the other side. I can, I have a lot of experience. I've had thousands of experience with the other side. This is a whole other podcast with you. Okay. <laughs> so like thousands of experience on the other side. But the thing is, I choose to be here on planet earth right now. And I've chosen to be here on planet earth to be in my physical, biological Kelvin Chin body, not my other bodies in my other life, you know, whatever, or my, what, I'm in the present, the continual present. And so I 
I have the facility and the and the it's a normalcy type experience for me. It's just a normal experience uh, to to get a communications from the other side from you know it's over and so on. But I don't I I don't spend a lot of my energy with that because I'm here now. Yeah. You know, I'll yeah. be there eventually, and then I'll be there. But you know, here. But yeah, people block the answer to your question. They block and they're and they're unreceptive. And a lot of it's fear. It's yeah. fear. So we get rid of fear, and that's my purpose. And it's what I do with my all my work is to get very, rid of various fears in people. That's gonna open them up more. Yes. Um that's makes a lot of sense. Okay, I have one last question for you, and then I know I have to let you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you feel like what do you feel the purpose of life is? I know that's a really tiny, just a tiny little question. Yeah, it's just really a small, we save, we save the smallest question for, for the least amount of time because, you know, we figure, you know, you guys have all figured that out, right? We just want to see if Kelvin's saying anything new to what you already know. <laughs> it's like, you know, with your work, you know, why, why yeah. are we just like in that other place indefinitely? Why are we? Yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that it, the answer to that question, and I'll, I'll answer your bigger question too. But the answer to your last question is, we're here because we want to be here. And even those of you who are watching this who think, "No way, I want to be here in the middle of this," you had a desire, and that's what that's what wanting is. That's what choosing choice is a desire. People don't realize how powerful the mind is and how subtle choice and will, willing something to happen, that kind of will, is. It's just desire. And I have lots of experiences we can talk about another time about how subtle that is and how I've, ex how I've experienced and other people, I've, I've observed other people experience how subtle that desire is to come here. And so it's a choice. We've chosen to be here. It's all choice. Now, the bigger, the bigger question and the answer to the bigger question, which I will give you an answer to, <laughs> which is what is the meaning of life? What is to me the meaning of life? And that's one of my essays in here is what's the meaning? One of the 67, that's actually more than one of the 67 essays that I've written in here. There's probably three or four, a half a dozen of the 67 essays in here. I talk about the meaning of life. The bottom line meaning of life is, is um, whatever you choose that to be. There is no predetermined meaning that thou shalt have to have in this lifetime. Now, can you make choices and have desires on the other side before you come in and, and create what you some people refer to as a soul plan or something like that, where you have a life purpose, this life? You can do that. Absolutely, you can. And might you have forgotten what you said to yourself on the other side yes you might have forgotten and then you can you remember that yes that's all possible but my point is that there's no thou shalt there's no written in stone because you can change your mind at any point in time you can have a different desire you might have had a desire to have this sort of life purpose in this lifetime and then change your mind in the middle of the lifetime you right. can do that right. nothing is saying that you have to there's no have to's there's choice and so the way I look at the bigger picture of what's the meaning of life to me is simply to be happy and content in whatever way that makes you 
in, 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 in my teaching to do it in a way that doesn't hurt other people. That's what I teach. Now, whether somebody chooses <laughs> to follow that suggestion or not, that's their choice. I don't have control over that. And once I realized I had this epiphany, uh, man, I don't know exactly when it happened, but maybe it was 20, 30 years ago. I had this epiphany that I couldn't help everybody. I can only help those who want to be helped. Then I relaxed about everything so much more. And my inner contentment and inner peace about the mess of the world that we live in skyrocketed. Not that I think everything's great. I'm not an idiot. And I'm not Pollyanna-ish about it. But I'm not suffering myself because of it. And I am doing whatever I can to change that. But I cannot change everything only those who want to be changed and helped. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, this has been so good. I could talk to you for 25 hours, but I know we got to wrap up. Is there anything that you want to leave people with? And then where can people find you and your work and all of that? Yeah, so uh, people can just probably just Google my name, Kelvin Chin, and um, then all my different websites. I have four websites. So um, you don't have to remember all the different websites. Just remember my name. Go to kelvinchin.org, uh, K-E-L-V-I-N-C-H-I-N.org. And, uh, you know, I have this overcomingthefearofdeath.org website. That's obviously helping people with death and dying issues. And um, and then I have the turningwithin.org website, which is my meditation website. And, that's, and then I have my book website, kelvinhenrychin.com. So they're separate because not everybody is interested or has the need. I'm a needs-based guy, so I'm helping their need. So not everybody has the same need. So I don't want to confuse people and say, well, I'm really not into that. Is he into that stuff? You know, so anxiety stuff and so forth and healing and you know, all that meditation, death and dying, overcoming the fear of death. Kelvin Chin covers everything. And then my book website. So that's probably the easiest a way to understand that but just go to bottom of any page and any website and you can navigate that that easily oh well you will definitely be hearing from me kelvin i'm going to be calling you <laughs> setting it up as soon as we get off this call thank you so much for taking the time okay. today this was amazing i felt like this gave me so much peace just talking with you and i really appreciate your time so thanks for being here great to be with you here delaney thank you, you. Okay. Right. thank you Oh boy, what an episode. Let me tell you, the woo-woo side of me is very happy right now. Um, uh, we do have an iTunes review of the episode. This is from Mindy Wesley. It says, love this podcast. This podcast is keeping me sane. Keep up the amazing work, XOXO. Mindy, thank you so much. We really, really appreciated it. If you want to leave a review, you can head over to your iTunes or Apple podcast app um, and it might get read on the show. It really means a lot to us. And thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And again, if you want to um, check out Efficionado, the minimalist business podcast, you can head over to delaneyfisher.com. You can get the episodes delivered right to your inbox, and you can also link it to your favorite podcast app as well. And we just cover everything about building an intentional and highly profitable business over there. Also check out kelseycookcomedy.com for all of Kelsey's 
tour dates coming up and especially get tickets to um, see her taper comedy special this summer. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend or feel free to post it on Instagram and tag at selfhelplesspodcast so we can repost you and say thank you. 